they go, I sit down. Next thing you know, bro, we get surrounded. Oh my God. <laughs> 40 dudes in a U shape. So I instantly jump up, right? And I had I had pepper spray, I had baton. I always thought I'm gonna use my hands, right? Because I'm not, you know, inmates will take your but your own baton away from you and smack and beat you to half to death. I've seen it over, it's happened over and over again. So I'm like, I'm not gonna take this shit out. Or they'll take your own pepper spray and pepper spray you and hit you over the head with a can, right? Pair for an electrifying episode today as we welcome Hector Bravo, whose remarkable career spans over 16 years as a former correctional lieutenant and tactical commander within the California state prison system. Hector is not only an authority in his field, but also a combat veteran and a distinguished best-selling author. In this unfiltered and emotionally charged interview, Hector provides an unvarnished account of his experiences in the Iraq war and the gripping realities of working alongside violent convicted felons. I want to wish everyone and their families a very happy and healthy holiday season. I am so grateful for all of you guys and all the love and support you give me day after day and week after week and month after month this year means the absolute world. Also exciting news, we will now be uploading behind the scenes interviews with our podcast guests to our YouTube membership program. So if you are looking to see more content like the content that's going to be in this upcoming episode, subscribe to our YouTube membership for only $5 a month to get early access to interviews and additional guest interviews after each and every episode. Remember to leave us a review on Spotify and Apple Podcasts, and I hope you guys sit back, relax, and get ready to lock in with the one and only Hector Bravo. Hector, man, welcome to Locked In, man. You know, I saw you you on YouTube on my friend Johnny Mitchell's podcast, and I watched that, and that was really interesting. And I think we connected at some point, maybe a month ago on, like, email or something. We did. uh, Because you have your YouTube channel. Um, And then AJ hit me up randomly, um, like, a a couple weeks ago, and was like, hey, Hector, we'll be in here um, at this uh, this time. Do you want to do it? I'm like, hell yeah. Right. Yeah, you've been on, like, our list to have you on the show. All the stars aligned, man. (laughs) Worked out. And then he was like, can you get him a hotel? Because he's going to sleep in in his car if you can't. I'm like, of course we can. (laughs) I'm grateful for that, man. I'm glad he even asked. It's not I was going to sleep in the car, you know what I mean? I'm not going to bother him. I would never ask for anything, you know what I mean? I respect that a lot. For sure, dude. I'll sleep in the car, but. No, I thank you for that. That shit was a good-ass room yesterday. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, Danvers <laughs> not a bad spot, and it's not a far ride from uh, New York. So we're in a good location, you know. I like it. It's right off the highway and stuff, so it works out. I like it. What do you think of Danbury? A lot of green, bro. A lot of green, <laughs> man. Because San Diego, Southern California is desert. Mm-hmm. Um, I like green. It makes it feel like I could breathe better, you know, oxygenated and then uh, less populated for sure, dude. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, is your last name actually Bravo? My middle name is actually Bravo. Okay. My last name is Farrell, like in Will Farrell. D- d- both great names. Really? Yeah. yeah I mean, the fact that you, the, the last name's, Bra- I mean, the middle name's Bravo, that's so cool. So I actually went with Bravo because I started this wild story still employed with the California Department of Corrections. Mm-hmm. And it's not a good idea to go against the grain <laughs> while you're still in, right? So I was re- able to remain undetected for about four months. Mm-hmm. And once I got discovered, you know, it's like, okay, time to go, guys. <laughs> it, it's hard. You know, it's social media and stuff like that. A lot of people you read that they get 
you know, fired or let go and they start um, uh, doing social media. But it's at that point, it's like, fuck that, because you could make more on social media than in your job. Facts without the BS, you know, I don't know, like a cuss, man. <laughs> no, but yeah, without of course, the BS, man, of course. Dude. That's like uh, you see all the all the time. The OnlyFans girls like get found out at work and then they get fired. <laughs> yeah, man. Uh, like OnlyFans is a good gig for chicks, man. We were just discussing that out there. Yeah. It's a good way to make money, I'll tell you that much. No, I actually I had an OnlyFans. You did? Yeah, in the, be- in the beginning of this year when I was starting the podcast. And uh, I was I think I made like three or four grand. Like like nude OnlyFans? Yeah, pretty much. It was just like, you know, it was like um it, it was a lot of men subscribing to me. Really? Yeah. It was just like they would ask for requests and this and dude, you're on you're on the grind. You gotta do what you gotta do. And I did that in Uber. Uh, okay, while I was yeah, starting I the podcast, yeah. yeah. I don't know. I mean, I thought about OnlyFans, but only showing my feet or something, right? Yeah, guys are into that. But the problem is it's not sustainable. Like, as a guy, I think it's more sustainable as a woman. Um, but when it, as a guy, it's a lot harder because there's only so much you could do. <laughs> you know, like, women could, like, bring out other guys. They could do other girls. Like, the men, I wasn't going to bring another guy on, you know? So I was, I was start, like, you know what? Fuck this. I'm done. Start, start rubbing shit on your body, bro. Yeah, I was not doing that. Like, I, I did some mirror selfies, whatever, at that, like, message with guys. I'm like, you know what? This is just weird, man. Like, I'm not doing this anymore. I could, I could attribute it to part of the story of the grind and, you know, doing what I, I you got to do. I respect it, bro. I respect the hustle. Yeah, man. People, I, like, I was put on social media and people were like what is this kid doing i'm making money who cares you know but uh yeah hector let's jump into it man you have a crazy story you know and and again very grateful that you're you're here today um it's not every day that you have a a prison guard on the show um i think we've had we've had like two total we actually had a guy here yesterday who's a comedian now that he got fired as a prison guard after six months because he let uh, a fight like happen. He just froze up and sat there. And you, he got fired for he, that. Yeah, he got fired for that. I, I don't think he was really a good fit for the for the gig. Man. Um. But where are you from? Where did you grow up? What's like early childhood life like for you? So I I was I grew up in Brawley, California. That's uh, man spelled spelled B R A W L E Y. Only reason that's Spelled it out because I'm here in Connecticut. People are probably wondering, like, what the hell? It borders uh, Mexico on the on the bottom, and it borders Arizona to the east. Desert, bro, glamis, sand dunes, um, and it's small town, dude. Everybody knows everybody, which has its perks and you know pros and cons. A lot of drugs, man. A lot of drugs in that area because, like I said, it borders Mexico. Um, not too many gangs, not really gangs, a lot of dope, a lot of cartel business. So if you don't get out of that town, you're stuck there, mm-hmm. which isn't a bad thing. I mean, my parents are still there. My wife's parents are still there, but it's just not for me, dude. I got to get out and about. Mm-hmm. And you went to uh, high school, college, everything like that. I or? went to high school there. And then I had actually enlisted in the United States army in 2001, twin towers happened. You hear, you feel the calling, you hear the war drums beating. And then right after I graduated high school, one month later, off to Fort Benning, Georgia for basic training. Did you ever want to go to college or was that? Absolutely not. Okay. So to you, this was your calling. My ticket out. My dad tried to persuade me to go to college. He's like, hey, heck, I'll pay for your college. Don't go to the military. I'm like, dad, I hate high school. Why would I go to college? You know, and yeah, I hated school. What did your parents do for work? My pops was a CO, a prison guard. He was a prison guard too? He joined in 1993, mm-hmm. back when it was the good old days in the early <laughs> 90s, you know, r- r- 
violence in Los Angeles and everywhere else was off the hook. Mm-hmm. My mother worked for like the welfare department as a social worker. And what about siblings? Do you have any? A younger sister. She's three years younger than me. Mm-hmm. And we grew up together, like like kind of like best friends type of relationship. What about you in high school? Did you have a lot of friends? Were you popular? Were you bullied? Uh, what would people describe you like? So my personality, dude, I was funny. The class clown. And I could, I could get along with everybody. I'm talking about from the jocks to like everybody, bro. I was a skater. Had long hair, skinny. Tall, lanky. I can't picture you with long yeah, hair. Yeah, bro. I had long hair. <laughs> and um, I was just able to get along with er- literally everybody. Were you afraid when you joined the military? You know, reflecting back, a lot of people ask me, like, what drove you? Why? 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 And I, and, and this is what I reflect back. I was a bitch, bro. Prior. I was a bitch. Like, I, I remember I let my dad down three different times. One, we were at Knott's Berry Farms, which is the amusement park, and I, I had been like like in sixth grade, and I was afraid to get on the roller coaster, and he called me a, a pussy, and I remember it, it like hit me right, it sunk, it sunk in, I'm like, damn. Another time was when he drove me to Pop Warner football, and I refused to get off the car because I was afraid, right? I was probably like fucking uh, 12 years old, and I remember thinking like, damn, my dad probably thinks I'm a bitch. You know, he, as a father, you, you want your son to be masculine. And then another time I was talking shit to some kid and I ran when he chased me and he challenged me to fight. And my dad told me to go outside and fight him in the empty lot next door. And I was like, no. And he's like, that's why you don't talk shit if you can't back it up. Mm-hmm. By that point, you know, I thought I let my dad down completely. I was like, fuck this. I'm joining the army infantry during a time of war. <laughs> I'll show you. <laughs> How'd your mom feel about you joining the army? My mom in general and mothers in general are like stress cases when it comes to their kids, their their children. And she was not, they were not cool. They were not ecstatic that I was joining the army. They did have to sign the permission slip, the waiver, because I was 17 years old. Oh, you you joined at 17? 17. Oh, wow. And you're allowed to fully enlist at 17? Fully enlist. As long as your parents sign off on it. As long as they sign off and as long as you graduate high school. That was a requirement. That's the only reason why I graduated high school. It was an incentive. It was a motivating factor. So what was training like? Did they like expedite it because it was a time of war? How did that uh, work out? They didn't expedite it. What I did kind of see back then too is maybe they lowered the standards far as maybe particular people that wouldn't be able to get in were getting in just because they wanted numbers. And there was no doubt that the mindset of the drill sergeants that had previously previously seen combat were definitely gearing us up to go to war by telling us stories. There was one drill sergeant, Furbish, staff sergeant, E6. He was in the Gulf War, and he always kept saying, you guys think this is fucking funny. You guys think this is fucking funny. Wait till your fucking buddy, your brother's bleeding out in your arms and he dies in your arms. And he would always say that, but we didn't grasp the full concept, right? Because to us, it was just another guy saying something. Mm-hmm. Then you go overseas, you deploy, and then it's like, oh, man, <laughs> I get it. I get it. Um, what was training like for someone that was, I guess in a way, you were kind of afraid of your own shadow in like <clears throat> high school, right? So what, how was that adjustment? Um, to tell you the truth, touching down, they 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 uh they knock it into your head. You're a killer. You're a killer. You're gonna be a trained killer. You're a killer. You fucking kill, kill, kill. This was 2002, bro. Before political correctness, before 
the gender equality before I mean, people kept it real back in the day. You're a fucking killer. And it didn't sit well with me, dude. Initially, it was kind of like putting the heels in, right? Digging in the heels, like, well, wait a minute. But then I also immediately remember thinking, Hector, if you don't fucking pretend you're like this, if you don't go along with this, it's going to suck for you. You're not, not, you're not going to make it. So I had to trick my mind into thinking I liked it. And then the rest is history. Mm-hmm. I guess that they, you would call that brainwashing. <laughs> so do you actually end up going overseas? Yeah, I was stationed in Germany. So after basic training, I went straight to Germany. And I trained for a year and a half. And then I deployed for 13 months to Iraq. You had deployed to Iraq for 13 months? In, in the year 2004. So the invasion was in 2003. That's when they pushed into Baghdad. They captured Saddam Hussein in 2003. We were in Germany when they captured Saddam Hussein. We were upset. Me, my best man, my people from my platoon, because we're like, we missed the fucking war. The war's over. We signed up for the for war. We missed it. We've been <coughs> training hard. We didn't get our chance. But boy, were we wrong, dude. We were fucking wrong, because when we touched down in 2004, that was the beginning of the insurgency. The insurgency basically is guerrilla warfare. Now, what does that mean for the, the viewer that doesn't know what that is? So if you think about a war, you think about an offensive. An offensive is an invasion. That's what that was initially. But now when you have already invaded, now you're occupying. You're on the defense now. Now the enemy, whoever the enemy are, local, local civilians taking up arms, wearing regular civilian clothes, ambushing you, hit and run attacks, roadside bombs, car bombs. I don't know if I already said ambushes, but uh, indirect mortar fire, rocket fire, like they're rarely standing and fighting you straight up. They're hitting and running. What was your role while you were there? Everything. Everything? Everything, man. We, uh, <clears throat> we were tasked to do combat patrols every day. We had an area of operation, our sector, Balad, Iraq, which is 50 miles north of Baghdad, right in the middle of the Sunni Triangle. And route clearance, this was old school, bro. We didn't have up-armored Humvees. Roadside bombs were there, and it's just kind of like rolling the dice. It wasn't a matter of if you were going to get hit. It was when you were going to get hit. And raiding houses in the middle of the night, like at 2 in the morning, 3 in the morning, we would get intelligence, oftentimes wrong, kicking a door. Snatch people up, hog tie them, put a blindfold them, separate the men from the women, the children from the men, and then uh, search the entire place for weapons, um, intelligence, and then transport those detainees back to our camp where we had a makeshift jail. And then once in a while, some people in a black suburban will pull up in the middle of the night and take them. So that really happens? Yeah. And these are, what is that, like CIA? I have no idea. I was fucking 18, 19 years old, and we just weren't asking questions. What, what are these, like, makeshift jails like, and, and how are these inmates treated that are, you know, prisoners of war? It's a good question, man. Nobody's ever asked me that question, but it, I want you to think of, like, an old Western jail movie where you got the bars. This was in our, in our FOB, FOB Palawata, and it was, like, two main big jail cells. This was all makeshift with the bars. And we were just 
throw them in there and they would they would be military aged males so anything between like 14 15 and up so yeah you would see some 15 year old kids and they're 14 dark dungy looking limited limited visibility the only instructions they gave us were to um don't let them sleep again we were young we just hit their house we just raided their house we bring them back <clears throat> we're being told don't let them sleep all right so basically that sleep deprivation gave us a little wooden billy club not to hit them with it but to hit the bars to keep them awake like ding 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 me personally my personality i didn't care right so if they wanted they were they were crashing out they were like falling asleep sitting down or standing up because they were exhausted but i wasn't the type to wake them up it, it meant nothing to me were you guys feeding them or are they well fed i got a story about that i wasn't feeding them they were eating whatever wherever or however they were eating they were definitely eating and they were drinking water but uh since I'm new to that country, I don't know their cultures. I don't know their, uh, you know, how they get down. I had to escort them to the bathroom one time. There was about probably six of them. I had my M16, so you're armed for sure. And I escort them out, outside. We have porta johns. We have our porta johns, you know, the, the um, porta potties. And on the way, there's water bottles like this, right? There's water bottles. And then all these Iraqis are grabbing water bottles on the way. And I, and I get them and I snatch them out of their hand. And I'm like, give me this shit. And I fucking knock it on the ground. I'm like, this is our water. Like, don't be taking our water, right? And I like, slap it out of their hand. And then they go and I look and they go to the porta john and they take a poop. And then they come out and I see little sandal prints on the fucking... So instead of sitting your ass like a normal human being on this porta john, what they do is they squat over the shitter, which is how they poop at their house. And that just upset me because I see all the sandal, dirty sandal prints. I'm like, God, can't you guys even take a shit correctly around here, right? And I'm just like, it's hot, angry. Well, come to find out, the reason they got those water bottles is because their culture, they wipe their ass with their hand after they're done taking a dump. What? Yeah, it's their left hand. I believe. So that's why you never shake. They don't shake in left hands. They shake in the right hand, but they use their hand to, to wipe their butt. Like you could probably Google it for sure. That's a thing. And I didn't realize that. Once I realized that I gave them all back their water bottles. Holy I didn't shit. want to deal with that. And then they just clean their hand. They after? just clean their hand out, man. It's just, it's a different world. I want you to think like, you know, not to be disrespectful, like, like prehistorical times, like not, not, not like Neanderthals type, like chickens, Lanterns, fire, mud huts, old school, right? They don't want Starbucks. They don't want Walmart. They don't want this kind of stuff. They literally don't want it. I mean, you try to build them something, they'll blow it up on you. That's what was happening. Really? We were building a water treatment plant. I'm getting worked up thinking about it. Because we were kind of there to make a difference, so they tell us. Oh, no, dude. Fucking propaganda war machine, man. We would build them brand new paved roads. They would blow them up on, on us, IEDs, roadside bombs. We would build them schools for their children. They would blow up the schools. And when I say they, I'm talking about the insurgents. They were fucking adamantly trying to pre prevent democracy. But do you think it was less about, you know, the what if they actually wanted it or not and more just about because you guys were the enemy that they were doing that? 
as I get older and I agree with with a lot of what people say, yeah, they didn't want to say her. We, everybody would do the same, trust me. Somebody comes and, and invades your country and tries to occupy and change your ways, you're going to fucking rebel, however, any which way you can. That's what I think they were doing. When you were watching those inmates in that, you know, makeshift jail, did you ever think that you would, you know, later come home and be a CEO yourself and that would be your full-time gig? Career day junior year is when the Marine Corps recruiter came in. I would eventually join the Army. That was a whole other story about the recruiter station. But uh, the goal was to join the military after the military become a CO, a correctional officer like my dad, and do 30 years of that. Oh, so you always had that plan. From the gate, from the jump, from oh. junior year. So you weren't planning on serving in the military long? No, and people ask me, like, hey, Hector, why didn't you go Ranger, you know, Special Forces, Green Beret? And I think, yeah, why didn't I do that? That was never my goal, right? My goal was to do my contract and get out. What's something you experienced in Iraq that you'll never forget? My friend getting killed, uh, Edgar Daklon, Edgar Doc Daklon, because he was our medic September 10th, 2004, which is my mom's birthday. Um, You know, I've told this story before, and uh, I honestly feel every day after that, is that I almost feel like I'm here on earth to just tell his story, to live in his honor. I can never fill those boots, but he was a Filipino. He was from Torrance, California. The dude was yoked, stocky, buff. He used to work at GNC prior. And um, that morning we got mortared. Our camp, our, our, our little fob, our little camp got mortared every single day. And every single night. So we weren't safe out there. We weren't safe in the wire, outside of the wire. It's always, you getting attacked. One of our jobs as grunts were to go out QRF, quick reaction force, and try to go find the location, the poo, the point of origin of where they mortared us from. Because we had a satellite that would track the trajectory and give us the exact coordinates. Well, it was only a matter of time before the insurgents ambushed us and set us up. And on this particular morning, it's exactly what they did. They had an IED set up, buried. It wasn't even buried. It was surface level. So normally, because they learned, they would bury an IED underground. Well, when that happened, the blast would normally go up and save us from the shrapnel because you drive by and they detonate it with a 9-volt battery and copper wire. This one was surface level, so it was under a mound of dirt. Once they showed up to the location, they parked right next to the IED, closer than to me and you. Soon as Doc stepped out, he was a medic. He didn't have to be doing any of this, but in his heart, he was like a grunt, and he was just a leader in general. Soon as he stepped in front of the um, Humvee, boom, detonates it. He flies across the road, killed instantly. I showed up immediately after that. I look over. And I see a body in the road. I run over there. Like something just said, go fucking run over there. Go check it out. Right. Go look at him. Verify. And I look down and dude, I didn't, um, I didn't recognize him. Right. And, I, and the reason I didn't recognize him, I was talking to somebody else recently and they're like, do you know why you didn't recognize him? I'm like, no. He's like, because something happens to the body when it dies. You know, you, you, the soul leaves. 
the, 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 the pressure in your body changes. And I'm like, damn, this is me re barely realizing, holy fuck, that all makes sense now. Because I've seen a lot of dead people in my life. I've seen a shitload of dead people in my life. But the thing is, I never knew what they looked like beforehand. So it didn't, wouldn't look different to me. They would just look dead. Mm -hmm. This one, it didn't look like my friend. <clears throat> we would eventually have to call a medevac, load him onto the plane, his body, his helicopter, and then two of my friends got wounded, uh, O'Neill and then our lieutenant, Torres. So we had one KIA and two um, wounded in action. And that day changed my fucking life for the rest of my life. My innocence left me. How often do you think you think about and replay that image in your mind? Every day, dude. And I don't understand. Like, I don't get it. I don't know. It's because I continuously talk about it on these interviews. I don't. <clears throat> it's every day, though, because even before I came out and started doing this. It's every day, dude, because September 10th comes around every year. And even the days leading up to September 10th, I know September 10th is coming up. So it's just replaying. Then you have Memorial Day. It's there. But even the days leading up to Memorial Day, for so me, every day is Memorial Day. It's every day, bro. It doesn't like, it doesn't have the same overbearing power that it once had because of all the treatment I've received and therapy and my sobriety. I, I just hit 13 years of sobriety, dude. Congrats, man. Thank you. And that was fucking drastic. Cause could you imagine having these thoughts and being under the influence of substances? Uh, it was bad. Do you think there's a part of you that doesn't want those memories to go away, though? So that way you can be reminded of them? Yes. Unfortunately, yes. It's I want... <laughs> he wasn't the only friend that I lost. I, I lost eight killed in action. They're tattooed on my back. Couple years ago, one committed suicide. So I added the ninth name to my back. Um, I had survivor's guilt for a long time, bro. The crazy thing is I never even knew what survivor's guilt was. So I was just enduring all of this stuff, thinking I was going crazy and losing my mind when survivor guilt's a real thing. It's in essence, I felt guilty that I had survived and that they had all got killed. So, like, a part of me, a massive part of me wants me to keep their honor alive, their name alive. And I've had different people tell me, like, hey, let it go, like, let them rest, or, like, you need to re relax. But I feel like I'm obligated to carry their honor. And how, that's probably got to be a, a huge burden on you every day. It's a big burden. That's why I got their names tattooed on my back because I do carry their names. I carry them on my chest. I carry the heavy load. <clears throat> you know, I, I'm a civilian. I've been a civilian for years, bro. But I don't like the way the civilians conduct themselves out in the public. No honor, no loyalty, no morals, no values, no integrity. Right? And I'm not speaking for everyone, but the Values that my brothers displayed were the top, the t top of the uh, the food chain, man. These guys were the fucking definition of like warriors, gentlemen. Do you think the military supported you mentally 
after that, those incidents <laughs> happened? Fuck no, bro. This was 2005 when I got out, man. On FOB Palawada, February 2005. <sighs> a couple days before we left country, after being there for 13 months, they sent some type of nurse or psych psychiatrist lady, mental health lady there. She had a clipboard. <clears throat> and right before... We went, you know, the kind of the, the troops are talking amongst themselves. They're like, hey, they're going to ask you a bunch of questions. If you guys don't say no, they're going to fucking keep your ass here longer. Right. So, just, or if, if you guys don't say the right answer, you're going to be stuck here longer. So, you, your best bet is to get the fuck out of here. Right. And I'm like, yeah, Roger that, Sarge. <laughs> like, do you ever kill anybody? No. Do you ever watch any of your uh, American troops die? No. Do you ever watch any um, Iraqi civilians die? No. Do you ever watch enemy uh, KIA killed in action? No. Bro, all those answers were actually yeses, and we just said no to get the fuck out of there. We touched down in Germany. We're in a hangar, in like, a, in like an airplane hangar. There's a colonel or a lieutenant colonel on the front. There's like rows of chairs and all the f troops. This is what he says, man. Don't drink and drive. Don't beat your wife. And if you hear loud noises, you might get startled. Have a good day. <laughs> right? So that's when the um, heavy, heavy, heavy drinking kicked in. I've been an alcoholic, bro. I feel like I'm an alcoholic from birth. Uh, hereditary. From my grandfather, he was an alcoholic. Skipped my dad and it got me for sure. Yo, bro, self-medication, man. You got to understand something. Nobody talked about PTSD. Nobody, <clears throat> it wasn't, it was, what do they call it, taboo? Yeah. It, you would be weak. You would be fucking ostracized. You would look less than, but that's the opposite from the truth. You know what I mean? It's just that that was a culture back then. Do you think if they provided you some help, you never would have turned to alcohol? <laughs> no. That answer right off the jump is no, because I'm an alcoholic. I had to go through what I had to go through. You know, it almost killed me numerous times. Like, I should, I should, bro, I should have, I should be dead, dude. But everything that has, has transpired in my life, all the near-death experiences, like, it wasn't close. It was, like, fucking right on the line, bro, like, teetering that line. I had to get it all out of my system. I had to, I almost died numerous times until I hit my bottom. With the, with the drinking, you've almost died? <laughs> Or just in your career? I've had roadside bombs go off next to me. I've literally had rockets fucking rain down all around us. Um, I, I've crashed cars drunk. I've... Don't know how I never overdosed, right? Like... I, I, for some reason in my head, I always thought you can't overdose off of an upper... Right, uppers, but they're like, yeah, you could have a fucking heart attack. I never realized that. I was doing a lot of dope, bro. Like, <clears throat> alcohol is my drug of choice, but I would do coke and meth to stay up longer to drink more. I remember one time I woke up from a blackout and I was, you know, I told you I have no problem sleeping in my car. Because, mm -hmm. you know, I'm used to sleeping on the ground. And I remember I woke up with a hoodie drenched in fucking blood, bro. Soaked. The hoodie was soaked in blood from doing coke all night long. And, and that was during 
not my bottom, like on my way down to my bottom during that period of time. Was this after you got out of the service? 2005. So you... Before I became a CO, mm -hmm. after I got out of the service. It was when you were in your... There was a year break, and that year was hell, bro, for me. That year was dark. Why do you think it became so dark? Just because of what you experienced overseas? Because of what I experienced overseas, I went right back to Brawley, my hometown that I tried to evade so much. The dope was there. The drugs were there. The alcohol was definitely there. I was surrounded by all my friends that didn't leave and continued to just drink. And I just dove right back into that. But I went extra hard because... When I was in Iraq, I had to trick my mind. And again, it's all about, for me, tricking my mind into accepting things. I had to trick my mind that I was already dead so that I can continue to, to function in combat. Because you cannot be in combat like, oh, am I going to die today? Oh, I'm fucking scared. Like, oh, like you can't, be, can't, you can't do that, right? Imagine that. But if you fucking trick your mind or accept the fact, oh, I'm already dead, what difference does it make? You can go through anything. Which, I don't give a fuck if I come through this fucking door and there's a dude with an AK-47, right? What difference do they make? If he, hopefully, I'm going to shoot this dude before he shoots me in the fucking face. And then it's going to be a wrap. When I came back home, my mindset was still turned on like that. Everything was still turned on. There was no off switch. Nobody told me how to turn it off. Nobody teaches you how to turn it off or lower it or put the dial back. So you can imagine a dude turned up fueled with PTSD, drugs, alcohol. It was out of fucking control, bro. Were your parents trying to help you at all? <sighs> they kicked me out of the house. So that just enabled even more in a way. I was living in my truck, sleeping yeah. in my truck, living in tweaker pads, crashing on the fucking mattresses, hooking up with chicks solely so I can have a, a, sh a place to shower. And you, you weren't married yet at this time? I was not married, How bro. How old were you at this time? At that time, I was 21. 21. I got out of the Army at the age of 20. Did you feel, like, neglected that your parents kicked you out? <clears throat> neglected is not the word that I was used. I felt... Maybe abandoned? Alienated. The truth is, I felt like an alien. The, the thought process in my mind then was, like, I feel like an alien. I don't belong here. Right, I don't belong here. People don't understand what I just went through. Because, dude, it was fucking frustrating to see people going about their daily lives. And I knew well, damn well what was happening in Iraq because that war was still raging on. 2005, 2006, they had the, the surge in 2007. My friends were, my friends, my brothers were still getting killed over there. And everybody's over here just like, excuse me, miss, my macchiato is not done. I'm just like, ah. Oh, you fucking bitch, right? But that's that rage. That's that like anger management or not anger management, anger issues. Um, uh, uh, triggers, triggers. I didn't know what triggers were. Seeing Middle Eastern people in their attire, their garb was a huge, massive fucking trigger to me. It was instant. Like, and I know what triggers are now and I've done plenty of therapy. And I am no longer in that position that I was, bro. And it feels good because that's poison going through your fucking veins. Yeah. It's poison, dude. What advice would you give to someone that was in your position back then that is kind of struggling to find a way out of it? I would say this. You're not alone. <clears throat> First and foremost, 
because I thought I was alone. I and that's a horrible feeling because you think like, man, I'm screwed up. I'm I'm, meant, I'm I'm crazy. I'm fucking crazy, and I'm by myself. So you're not alone. You're not crazy. Your mind, it, it, the mind, the brain is a fucking powerful, interesting thing, bro. It actually gets rewired and sends new like neurons and like signals when you encounter life and death situations, fight or flight situations. So it's all normal. It's all scientific. And reach out for help. Definitely reach out for help. You know, that was the most courageous thing I've ever done in my life. But it damn near killed me numerous times to get to that point. Absolutely. So how do you become a CO then? Like, uh, how do you go from the military to rock bottom and then all of a sudden you're now a CO in one of the toughest prison systems? So I wasn't, I still had goals, right? I still had goals. I still had ambitions. I still had drive. Unfortunately, all that shit was clouded and distorted by my experiences. Oh, I landed in jail, bro. <laughs> I landed in jail during my shenanigans in 2005. It was a beer run. Drinking with my friends. We ran out of beer. And it's like, hey, let's go get some more. Let's go do a beer run. Cool, let's go. We go. The first one we did was successful. Go back to the house, drink some more. And it's like, all right, well, let's go get some more beer. Well, let's go get some more beer. We did it right in front of a California Highway Patrol officer, bro. Dude turned around, pulled us over, takes us to jail. I'm thinking they're going to let us go. At that point, I had not been to jail yet. I've been to jail a total of three times in my life. That was the first time. All alcohol related. They take us to the county jail, Imperial County Jail. They start. I didn't know how to bail myself out. Had I known, I would have bailed myself out. And uh, they dress us out in, in jump in, in jumpsuits, inmate. And I'm like, what the hell is this? <laughs> oh, no, bro. Oh, no. We go to camp, which is a dorm. And me and my one of my friends, there was a total of three of us. The other dude was smart enough to bail himself out. We didn't know. So it was me and my, my homie, Jaime. Well, the, the good news is that as soon as the doors open to the dorm with general population inmates, GP, mm-hmm. the shot caller walked up and said, Jaime. I'm like, the fuck? It's his cousin. His cousin was the shot caller of the dorm. So I'm fucking standing there with my be- bedroll, my mattress, right? And then I'm like, oh, he's with me too. So they're like, yeah, fucking take my shit, show us the bunk, set it all up, give us the rules, right? Because with this general population, they have rules. But I'm not a gang member, and neither is my friend. And this is like a county jail, right? With real gang members. Wow. With dudes that are heading to prison. Motherfuckers that have tattoos on their faces. <laughs> I'm so like, I'm like, man, this ain't me, right? Yeah, I did commit a crime. We stole some fucking beer. But, man, I'm in here with, like, the big dogs. <laughs> so, like, as ridiculous as that sounds, first thing I did was drop down and start doing push-ups, bro. Because <laughs> that's what I seen in the movies. Oh, <laughs> I, man. My friend's like, Hector, get up. Get up. Get up, you idiot. I'm like, fuck, no. I know what I'm doing, bro. <laughs> At like, least you didn't go and try to fight anyone like some st- guys do. Go and <laughs> punch someone or something. <laughs> I was scared. I would have got mopped up. Right? Goes back to being scared again, right? It's like, mm-hmm. I don't like environments where I'm like, really, the odds are highly against me, bro. Fucking. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's the point when I was kicked out of my house. That's the point when I was living at a tweaker pad. So I was not in contact with my parents. 
So I'm like, fuck, man, do I call my parents? Do I not? Very uh, stubborn, my ego, right? I'm calling, do I not? Somehow, some way, I think they caught wind that I was in jail because even though they kicked me out, they were always calling the hospitals and they were always calling the jails just to ensure where my where I was at and my safety, you know? Wow. Sure as shit, like, oh, yeah, he's here. Yeah. Um, I did a week in there, bro. I you spent a week in there? A week, dude. Why did you spend a week over a petty robbery? Charted, bro. So they actually charged oh. it with commercial burglary. Is that a felony or a... I don't know what that was. No. I think the cop... You see, my small town, you have to understand, cops, they don't get real action. So they, they try to puff shit up. You know what I mean? They try to... Commercial burglary, bro, for a fucking 12-pack of beer. <laughs> but you have to understand, we, we did the beer run on a Thursday night. Friday was a holiday. Saturday, Sunday is a weekend. Monday was a holiday. And then they let us out like on the Wednesday or Thursday. It was like Labor Day weekend or one of those type of weekends that carried on or, or holidays that carried on. And it, fuck, dude, I didn't like it one bit. I didn't like it at all. Um, and I remember thinking to myself too, like, man, I fought for freedom. I fought for freedom. And now my freedom has been taken away. Like, I don't, I felt like a cage fucking lion, dude. Mm-hmm. And I called my dad from the payphone on the wall inside the dorm. <sighs> to say he was disappointed would be putting it extremely lightly, dude. And he's like, hey, Hector, you just received your letter for CDCR to go test. And I don't even think you can get in now with what you have going on. I kid you not, bro. I got out of jail. That following day, I went to go take the written examination at Rancho Cucamonga. And I passed. That's for... To become a CEO. To become a CEO. How yeah. hard is the written exam? Like, what? What even? Easy. Is, uh, Bas- basic <laughs> English, basic math, basic uh, spelling. Is anything law related at all, or not? No? Not in the initial. So, what? What kind of questions? Like, what are a couple questions? Sally dyes her hair red. Sally red dyes hair. You know what I mean? It's kind of like you got to put shit like fucking basic, yeah. basic literature, bro. Like basic fucking. And with your pending charges, that didn't affect anything? So since I, it's a process to become a CEO, bro, yeah. it's a written examination, a physical fitness test, and a background investigation where all this comes out. Mm-hmm. So I passed the written exam. I passed the, back, I passed the physical fitness. And of course, dude, fucking three, four months later, I put it down on the piece of paper. You ever been to jail? I abs- I put it down because they you, if you omit something or you lie, you're you're disqualified mm-hmm. right off the top, dude. Yeah, county jail, fucking what from this date to this date, one week, charges, commercial burglary. The final verdict was, I believe, dis- dismissed because it dropped. Like, nope, I never went to court. I never had to pay a fine. I think what they gave me was time served. I think the DA just didn't pick it up. Yeah, because how would you? I don't think you would have been able to become a corrections officer if you had a record. Well, technically, that is a record. Me going to jail. I mean, no, if it's a, if it's off, like if you were not convicted or whatever. I wasn't convicted. Yeah, so I think that's how you got in. <laughs> well, the the background investigator, you're the sergeant, he's like, "Whoa, man, the hell says you were in jail a couple months ago?" I go, "Hey, yes, sir. I could explain everything." He's like, "Yeah, please do." It's like, "Hey, man, I got out of the army. I was hanging out with some. I kind of sold him a lie in a way. I was like, hey, I was hung out." with some friends that I thought were my friends. They were up to no good and they stole some alcohol and I was with them. Like, I'm never going to do that shit again. And he's like, I believe you, man. You're a good kid. Yeah, that is true. You know, I was hanging with the wrong crowd, but I definitely got to accept accountability that, 
Yeah, I was in the mix. So how hard was the physical fitness test? Because what I'm trying to figure out is how do some of these guys and even women become COs? Because I've seen some very out of shape COs. So just so you mm-hmm. know right now, current time, November 16, 2023, yeah. they have eliminated the physical fitness portion of the test. Yeah, you know, you're not the only one that said that. I've talked to someone else before. And the lie detector, stress, voice analysis. Really? Which it wasn't a polygraph, but it was a voice stress analysis. Why would they eliminate the physical fitness? To fast track motherfuckers. Because it, they don't they're not they don't have enough people, right? Correct. Is that federal and state or just state? For sure, state. Mm-hmm. I don't know about the, every other agency. Well, I, I know mean, other agencies, police agencies, have drastically lowered their standards and taken away. We had a former cop on, and that's what he was saying, too. That's mandat- That's expected, though. Look at the world. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I know the feds are hurting really bad right now to get prison staff. Like, you see all the ads on Indeed, and, like, uh, when I was an inmate, you know, they would always do the mandated overtime, making the, the prison staff work. Like, uh, sometimes it could be a six, three shifts. It's crazy. <sighs> So not only is the higher-ups administration corrupt, and we'll get into that, right? They're also not the brightest because it's an easy problem to f- solve, fix. You just treat your employees like human, decent, decent human beings, and you will retain them, right? They will want to come to work. They won't abuse their sick time, go out workman's comp, uh, and um, I resigned, bro. I personally resigned. I quit. I, people are now quitting. But I think there's two parts to it, too, because you could be the best boss, and if you have the world's shittiest um, customers, which in this case is the inmates, that makes a person not want to go to work, too. There's just something to be said about um, your boss having your back, though. Mm-hmm. And I'm not talking about, like, hey, if I want to come to work and I want to beat up inmates when I'm not supposed to and I want my boss to cover my back. That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm definitely talking about is... I don't want my boss using me as a stepping stool in his their career and throwing me under the bus and sabotaging me with false information. Mm-hmm. That happens a lot, dude. Yeah. Frivolous, frivolous BS. They're, they're out to burn staff members to promote promote higher. So you you get in. What was like your starting rate as a prison CEO? Money-wise? Yeah. <clears throat> and what year was this? 2006. So, yeah, so what are they paying back then? Oh, bro, we're coming up. Uh, November 27, 2006. <laughs> Happy anniversary. <laughs> Thanks, bro. I didn't make it. <laughs> I didn't make it. Um, 16 years. Uh, fucking four grand a month, five grand a month. I mean, that's, it's that's better not, than That nothing. wasn't terrible back then. So when you initially become a CEO, that's not when you're seeing the, the green. You after seven years, oh man, that's when you're oh my god, that's when you top out every year. You get a raise, and you're making bank in 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 comparison, right, to anybody, any other working, any other job, for what you do. Did you have military benefits too? Not at that time. No, they didn't give you any any type of benefits. GI Bill, like GI Bill, like not not no monetary compensation, but like like GI Bill, the VA loan. I was able to buy use my VA loan twice. You could buy a home with no money down. Mm-hmm. The rates are extremely well. Plenty of those type of benefits. But also the military don't, bro, they don't prepare you to get out. They just kick your ass out. They didn't tell us anything about benefits, man. The way you find out is by friends calling other friends like, hey, I heard about this program. Oh, shit, we get that? Yeah, dude, here's the link. Here's the paperwork. Yeah. So what prison do you get sent to to work at? Sentinella State Prison. 
in Imperial, California. What kind of prison is that? Level four, general population, high security. So I say level four because you had one yard. There's four yards. The rest were level three GP. Uh, so there's four levels in, in, in California. Level one is your trustees, your minimum inmates. Level two is just one step above that. Level three, now you start, you know, now you start. Violence can happen at every level. I've seen it. Murders can happen at every level. I've seen it. But you get to the level three, you get to the le- you get to level four GP. Hey, that's when they're that's when they're using knives, shanks. Rarely do you see a fist fight. Did you have a choice of where you got put, or yeah. they they just sent you there? So with the California Department of Corrections, it does iffy shit sometimes, man. There was a two year free hiring freeze when I applied. That's why I took that year period. So I had to wait two years to join. Now the process is like six months, seven months. Because yeah, they're desperate now. Because they're desperate. <laughs> it, ideally, they'll give you a wish list of three prisons that you want to work at. Ideally, they're not going to give you those three prisons. You're going to get sent to some shitty fucking prisons that nobody wants to work at in the middle of nowhere. Pelican Bay, which borders Oregon yeah, in Northern California. Yeah. High Desert State Prison, which borders like Nevada up there in Northern California. Those are going to be your first choices. What's that famous California prison that's not used anymore? Um, that's uh, It's like in the movies. It's like on the island. Or Alcatraz. Whatever. Alcatraz. That's did, off like San Francisco Bay. Did you ever get to go out there just to see it at all? Or yeah, no? yeah. Well, as family trips. Family trips. Mm. So you could actually go on the island and explore the jail. Yeah, have you never been there? No, I want to do that. So, so dude, before you go, mm-hmm. book the book the trip beforehand. Mm-hmm. There's no way you they they booked that shit out months prior. That's so cool. Though. You don't want to get there and then not not be able to go. Yeah, I gotta check that out. Oh yeah, you get a little fairy. Yeah, did, <laughs> did you see that movie um, with uh, Sean Connery? I think isn't it? Um, I, I think it's called Alcatraz. I've seen a few. Yeah, that, that word like they they take over the the. Um, mm-hmm. The, the jail and whatnot. Great movie with Nicolas Cage, isn't it? Yeah, I know what you're talking about now. Yeah. All right. So you're a you're a prison CEO at this prison. Walk, the Rock is what it's called. The Rock. Yeah. <laughs> Walk me through your average day. Like what time you're punching okay. in? If you even have okay. to punch in, like the whole nine yards. So an average day in 2006, 2007. This is a different time frame, man. Things have changed. <laughs> um. You're wearing a brand new green shiny jumpsuit, man. You're still shitting academy food. Everybody knows you're new. Your partners know you're new. The inmates know you're new. You have a fucking certain walking rigged and scared and fucking lunch bag. You walk in through a staff entrance where they check your bag. It's not as thorough as like an airport check security. It's kind of like looking, show your ID, verify you're an employee there, and you walk through. You walk to your facility, you show another ID, right? I don't want to give up too many security measures, but there's, you know, a lot of security measures in place. And depending on where you're working at, you'll get some equipment. You get chits and you chit out a baton, pepper spray, grenades, that OC grenade that'll throw powder and fucking contaminate you. <laughs> um, and it's not a, a, it's not a punch in on the clock like a wall. It's a falsa. It's a sheet, a sign-in sheet. So, you know, Federal Labor Standard Act, FALSA. You sign in, it has your name, your start time, and uh, 
We also use that as accountability. So in case somebody gets taken hostage or there's a massive riot where now the prison is being overtaken, you can do a, you know, accountability check of your personnel. Usually in the time when I would show up, which is the shift between 2 p.m. and 10 p.m., yard was already full blown out there, man. So you just see all these killers, literally killers, out in the fucking yard in 120 degree weather doing burpees, thousands of burpees, doing pull-ups, doing squats, playing basketball, playing handball. And you got to walk through the lion's den, bro. And you you got to walk through there with no equipment. If, if you're working the building, you haven't checked out equipment yet. So you're looking at the gunner and the gun post, like just hoping he's looking at you, right? Or they're looking at you. You get to your unit and you do a little debriefing, like, hey, anything going on? And stuff that can get past is like, yeah, they're acting, uh, you know, there's tension. There's tension between the Mexicans and the blacks. Because at that time, there was a lot of racial wars, bro, a lot of racial riots. And, uh, or I should say race riots. There wasn't necessarily like a racial thing. I think people get that misconstrued if they're not from California. You know, it's not that they're racist. It's that they run by race. So if one gets involved, they all get involved. (laughs) And when it erupts, it erupts. On a good day, nothing happens. On a bad day, it fucking erupts. And a riot can look like a 200-man riot. You can have 100 Mexicans, Southern Mexican Sureños. You could have 100 blacks fighting throughout the whole fucking facility in the buildings, in the chow hall, in the gym. Because at the time, the gyms were packed with bunk beds as dorms on the yard. And your job as a CO is to go over there in a controlled manner, in a tactical manner and stop it. Stop it. Stop violence with violence. Did your military experience give you an advantage over other prison guards that maybe not have had the military experience? Because I would, as an inmate, I met a lot of guards that were out of the military, and they carried themselves a lot differently than some of the other guards that weren't in the military. I think a perk that I had was chaos, thriving in chaos, being calm in the chaos, excelling in the chaos. Like That was my world. And it's crazy to think that's still my world. Like, I don't want it to be. <laughs> I want to be chill. <laughs> I think you kind of learned how to, <laughs> to make the chaos, like, give you motivation and, and use it as a driving force, you know? You know, uh, the world slows down. Like, it, it's time slows down. And, I, and your senses, you know, one thing, I've never felt more alive than when I was closer to death. Right, and that's the truth. So that's, maybe that's why I used to chase it all the time, because your senses are fucking turned on. Your your smell, your your hearing, your sight. It's almost like you know the adrenaline rush. It's like the dopamine. It's like a fucking drug, bro. It's a rush, and you you can get addicted to that. You know, I was recently asked yesterday, as a matter of fact, Hector, did you enjoy it? Did you enjoy like hurting those inmates? Did you enjoy using force? And I'm like, fuck, dude, I got to be honest with you, bro. Like, there was a time where, and I told him, you got to be careful if you stare into the abyss because the abyss will stare back into you, right? You can become a product of your environment. You can fucking go too far to one side if you don't maintain your bearing. There was times where, and to clarify on that answer, 
I would never go out of my way to purposely start a fight. But let me tell you, if a fight got started, then, hey, it's game time. And I enjoyed that part of it. Having the green light to go all the way. And the higher-ups were giving you the green light to do this? Technically, the inmates were giving me the green light because they were <laughs> participating in violence. Now, the, we, we were talking about, like, it's, a, it's very racial, right? How would the races treat you? Is it racial when it comes to guards? Like, will a black inmate come up to you or is a black inmate going to another black guard? The, okay, with, without any stereotypes or blanket statements, anything can vary and anything can happen, right? Mm -hmm. But there's a big misconception, particularly around me too, because I'm from Southern California. This is a great example. I'll use myself as an example. I'm from Southern California. I grew up around... Guys that have been in gangs, guys that have been to prison, right? Doesn't make me that. Doesn't make me over familiar with them, right? There's a line. I know the law. I know my role. I know their role. But there can be a misconception that I favored them more. That's fucking farther from the truth. Because to green versus blue, that's what we say. That's what we used to say back then. Officers wear green, inmates wear blue. All we saw was blue, right? We didn't see race. We didn't see that or the other. From black inmates, would I hear like, oh, that's racist. You, that's some bullshit that you're doing. Yeah, they're going to say what they're going to say, but that doesn't make it true. Um, targeting specific race. The best thing I can say is being firm, fair, and consistent like they taught us in the academy. You cannot fucking favor one race over the other because it's going to create some damn problems for you, man. And vulnerability, they can open, they can... They can flip you. I mean, they can't fucking flip me, but you can get flipped, like, turn into a dirty CO. They can, you can start bringing contraband in if they fucking get to you enough. Now, I want to I talk on that for a second. When someone becomes a dirty cop, mm -hmm. right, how do they actually get the stuff through security? Like, what's the security system like for guards? Well, I told you that, that they, it's not like it's not as thorough as an uh, airport. Mm -hmm. They just skim through your lunch bag. Um. A way they can get dope in or have in the past is through burritos. Burritos? Put, put dope in the burritos, and I have pictures of that. Wait, like the guard is bringing in burritos? The guard is bringing in burritos, but you open the tortilla, and it's fucking bindles of marijuana, bindles of heroin, bindles of fucking uh, meth, cell phones, chargers, lighters. But now they must have scanners and stuff. No. You're telling me no? And nah. Well, they, they must have it in, like, the feds and stuff, maybe right? The, maybe the feds. I but never in the, the state, feds. in the state prison, it's, there's The state nothing. prison is rampant with dope, bro. <laughs> what about, like, weapons? Aside from knives and shanks and stuff, what about, like, a gun? Are, are, is anyone trying to bring that in? So check this out, bro. Right now, the latest thing in 2023 is drone drops. Yeah, I've heard. I've seen that. That is the latest, and that is the greatest, man. In fucking middle of the night, some dude with a drone, like, I don't know how they have, like, little claws or what they do. And they'll drop a football in Fucking the middle of the yard. Technology, man. And that's packed with, with, with dope, cell phones, and all of the above, right? Yeah. They will get, like, let's say a manila envelope, a yellow manila envelope. They'll fucking load it with contraband, put Elmer's glue all around it, and roll it in the dirt. So now when it drops from the sky, it's out there in the middle of the yard. If you're a CO, which you're not paying attention, bro, you're not fucking looking at rocks and see what's a rock and what's not. <laughs> Then the yard crew worker, an inmate, or whoever knows that the package got dropped will go secure the package and take it back to the house, their cell. 
My biggest fear was that a gun was going to get introduced to a prison. Uh, knock on wood. I didn't want to be anywhere around that when that happened. Do I think it's going to happen? There, there is not a doubt in my mind that it's going to happen. Well, it happened recently in the feds at a camp, which I'm shocked that it. this is like one of the first times it's ever happened. I was reading the news on that. But I'm talking about a, a level four, level three GP. Because then they could take it California over. prison. Yeah would be all bad. And not necessarily because they can take it over. Because I want to be clear, man. Just to not leave any room for error. If an inmate has a gun in a prison, a lot of people are going to die. To include the person with the gun, if they don't comply with orders. But ain't nobody going to escape. They're not going to take shit over. Right? They might take over a, a little area of the prison, but you're just not going to win. <laughs> The bad guys really never win. You know what I mean? Yeah. But a lot of people are going to die. And yeah. I didn't want to deal with that or experience that. What do you think was like the scariest, most dangerous situation you were in as a prison guard? A lot. There's a few. Give um, me I've, the top one. I've been surrounded. A, a sketchy, one sketchy time. Well, fuck. There was a couple. One, <laughs> one sketchy time, right? Level three GP. Like I said, man, it varies. Just because you're a level one doesn't mean you're not any fucking less violent. So at the time, there was a huge overcrowding problem in California where not only did you have the gyms filled with bunk beds with inmates housed in there that were not supposed to be housed in there, you had bunk beds on the housing units. So like a regular housing unit with the cells, you had bunk beds. So it was like 20 on this side, 20 on this side. So like 40 inmates total. I forgot. In the common area, the day room area, with different races, blacks, whites, Mexicans, others. Those are the four groups. I'm, there was three floor officers. Normally there's two, but because there was bunk beds, you have the additional and the gunner in the control booth. We were all new, newer, new, and we were all non-regulars to the building, meaning that wasn't none of our regular post. So we just happened to land there that one day. So it was day room recall, meaning... Inmates are supposed to go back to their cells. So we're like sitting there at the podium. You have an officer's podium and then you have inmates on, on C section, inmates on A section. And there it's, it looks like a full on day room, bro. You have dudes playing cards, dudes watching TV. We're like looking around. We're like, hey, this shit don't look right. right. The last thing we want is a sergeant to walk in and be like, hey, what the hell the fuck you guys like type of program you guys running here? That's a free for all. So. A consensus amongst us three at the bottom were like, hey, let's call the building next door and see what type of program they run. And we'll just copy what they run. I'm like, well, <coughs> yeah, that makes sense. So they fucking tell me, tell me. And we all had around the same time frame. Well, we knew. I call them like, hey, bro, like during day room recall, what are the inmates supposed to be doing? They're like, oh, they're supposed to be in and around their bunks. I'm like, well, fuck, they're all over the place, bro. <laughs> He's like, no, man, make them go in and around their bunks. I'm like, all right. So I hang up, and I'm like, hey, guys, they said in and around your bunks. They're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. They fucking started hyping me up. So I'm like, let's go tell them. So I get up, and I start walking towards A section, bro. And I look back, and those two partners are sitting at the fucking table at the desk. They didn't get up. One of them was buff and big. <sighs> what a waste. <laughs> So these inmates are looking at me, and I'm young, dude. And I tell them, like, hey, fellas, like, 
you know, I'm cool with it. You guys got to take it in and around your bunk. And they instantly started, who the fuck are you? We never fucking seen you before. You can't come over here and start changing shit. If it ain't fixed, don't, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. And I'm like, hey, fella, now I'm holding my mud. Now I'm holding the line. You know what I mean? I've, I've now committed by myself because they didn't go. And uh, I'm like, hey, that's it. In and around your bunks. And they did. They were talking shit to me, but they were complying. That's a good thing you learn. Like, I don't give a fuck if you talk shit as long as you're doing what you're supposed to be doing. So now I got to go walk to the other side and my partner stayed sitting down. And I kind of look at him like, the fuck? Like, they're leaving me hanging. You know, like, that was not cool. By that time, there was a lot of blacks on this side. They had already saw the commotion that happened over here. They fucking started getting out of control with it. I'm holding my mud. I'm like, hey, man, this isn't even up for debate. Like, pfft. Right, because I'm not, what I'm not going to do is fucking say something and then put my foot in my mouth and then back, cower. That's what that would look like. It's cowering. Now, if I made a legitimate mistake, that'd be a whole other story. Then I can apologize, right? But this was, this was the rule. So I, they go, I sit down. Next thing you know, bro, we get fucking surrounded. Oh, my God. <laughs> 40 dudes in a U shape. So I instantly jump up, right? And I had, I had pepper spray. I had baton. I always thought I'm going to use my hands. Right, because I'm not, you know, inmates will take your but your own baton away from you and smack and beat you to half to death. I've seen it over; it's happened over and over again. So I'm like, I'm not gonna take this shit out, or they'll take your own pepper spray and pepper spray you and hit you over the head with a can. Right, I'm just like, fuck this. So I jump up, right, and I wasn't like this guy, but I was just like posted. <laughs> oh, dude, surrounded. I was fucking scared. I was fucking scared, bro. I'm not gonna lie. You'd be an idiot not to be scared. My two partners stayed sitting down and I caught that out of my left eye. Like I right your awareness. And I know that the inmates are watching me and they're watching my partners. And you everybody's just getting the vibe, right? Like, fuck. So now you got the Mexicans, the blacks, the whites, and the others in cahoots. Right. When normally <laughs> there would be tension amongst themselves, which is better for us, taking the focus off of us. And push came to shove. Well, put and then like fucking. <sighs> One of the inmates said, hey, we're just like the gym. We're like the dorm. The dorm has day room 24-7, so we can have day room 24-7. And my dumb fucking partner, the buff one's like, oh, yeah, yeah, that's right. They do. And I just shot him a look. Because in <laughs> essence, he sided with him. Yeah. You know what I mean? During a time of fucking, when it was a conflict, he sided with him, which is a bad move. And I, I, I looked at him. I shot him a look. <laughs> <laughs> the inmates saw me shoot them that look and then they in their head they probably just thought like fuck this is not going to be worth it yeah right this is are we this is really going to kick it off over this they backed down right well they didn't back they took it back to their bunks and i told my partner don't you ever fucking do that shit again i was pissed dude and he's like oh, i'm sorry bro i was scared my motherfucker you don't think i was scared too but I'm not going to fucking like cower in front of these dudes. Like, you know, and that's just, what do you want to call it? Not stupidity because that's your job. You got to understand you got to go back to work the next day. And respect is huge. I mean, you know that respect yeah. and, and people don't respect weak. How does a prison hit a prison murder go down? What is the CO's response to it? A prison hit a prison murder. Okay, a murder is usually, not all the time, going to be ordered, a hit, right? It's going to be um, blessed, co-signed. 
So they know a dude is going to get murdered. They have the victim. So they'll get two suspects armed with extremely well knives, homemade, metal, approximately 8 to 12, 13, 14 inches of steel, very sharp, with a good handle out of cloth. They use the linen from the sheets and tie a good fucking thing. And trust me, man, they study the art of war. Sun Tzu, the books, they read all these books. They know where to hit somebody under the armpit, in, right in the fucking chest, right in the heart, in the carotid artery. They know all the hit, the one hit or quitter spots, man. <sighs> Everything is strategically planned. As far as inmate program, yard opened up at the same time, day room. So they know when and where they're going to hit the guy. They're looking at the gunner. And... 99% of the time, this victim is caught off guard. And I've heard it over again. They're like, even though I knew I was going to get hit, I didn't know it was going to happen then. <laughs> they make you feel comfortable. They lure you in. It's like uh, prepping your 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 bait, like um, buttering up your, you know, like a little mice with a fucking anaconda wraps around it or eats it. And, uh, bro, it's vicious. It's vicious. With the Southern Hispanics of Sureños, with the whites, the Aryan Brotherhood, you know, the Mexican Mafia, the Nuestra Familia, those are the big prison gangs. But they're soldiers. And even then, when their own members commit, they're 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 like possessed animals, bro. They are on them. Boom, 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 hitting them. All throughout the fucking they're hit. Every shot is possibly a kill shot, bro. So it doesn't you you're just booking it, dude. Right? And fucking, ah, dude, you can have one individual holding, holding the guy down, pinning his arms down, and another guy just fucking, boom, right in his fucking chest, right in his fucking heart, bro. Boom, boom. They do not care that they are being pepper sprayed by us at all. We are pepper spraying them. They are not fucking stopping. They do not care that we are hitting them with batons, the monotonous batons, the one with the power safety tip. And we're talking about fucking full swings, bro, from big guys. They're just on them. Boom, booking them. They do not care if they're getting hit with the 40 millimeter less lethal, the wooden baton rounds or the sponge. It's like a Nerf gun that hits you. Fuck it. That shit can kill you, too, if you get hit in the dome. They're on you. Boom. It's like they're they're, on, they're, they're possessed, bro. It's a, it's a fucking, there's a, there's a mission at hand, and it's to kill this dude. Even Mini 14, the live 223 round. You could fucking fire a warning shot. You don't have to fire a warning shot, but some people do. And maybe, maybe then they, they're going to stop when they want to stop. Wow. Hey, dude, what do you think that scene looks like? Like the movie fucking Carrie. It's like the suspects have just as much blood covered as the victim. I always thought that would suck to be an inmate getting stabbed because not only do you have multiple holes on you, but you're also pepper sprayed. That shit has to suck. But um, <clears throat> in the case of somebody getting killed, <sighs> once you see the knives, once it's almost like you've seen one, you've seen them all. Right? You see the, the ferocity. You see, you already know what's going to come next. Medical attention. Call the paramedics. Call the 911, the ambulance. Call the, the medevac, the life flight. They bring the helicopters. Remember for a month straight at Sentinel State Prison, we were life flighting inmates every single day. For a month straight because that char yard was off the fucking hook, bro. Stabbings. 
good ones. Hits. Good weapons. And since I actually got to promote to sergeant, to lieutenant, not only do I know the CO work of stopping the fight, but I definitely know all the paperwork bullshit behind it. It's a lot of fucking paperwork. And the unfortunate part of calling the next of kin, the inmate's family member that's on their paperwork. You have to say, hey, ma'am, is this uh, the mother of inmate so-and-so? You already hear their voice trembling. I regret to inform you that your son uh, passed away. And then, boom, bro, you hear the cries. No, no. You hear the, <clears throat> you hear the phone drop. You hear the, the, the brother pick up the phone. Hello, hello, who's this? Hey. You got to repeat the same message. And they're like, fuck, no, no. One dude's like, damn, our dad just died last week. And this dad had died last week. The son had died that week. Then he goes on to say, we don't have money. We don't have money. We're, we're from San Bernardino. I can't, uh, we can't get, and I, I'm a lieutenant. I'm, I'm a human, bro. You know, I'm getting chilled. I'm a human. Like hearing a family member, because the family members don't deserve this. They, they're innocent victims. They're innocent pe players in this game. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? And to be to be the one to deliver that message that your loved one just passed away is not a good feeling, dude. What happens to the guys that you guys catch in the act of committing these murders? The, do they just go to solitary? Are they getting charged again? What <clears throat> happens? You book them. You know, you you handcuff you you restrain them. They go to solitary, ad seg, administrative segregation, the whole. That process looks all the same. They're definitely getting charged with homicide, murder. They're definitely getting charged with it, right? So. It's important to doc to get all the evidence preservation, all the photographs, the video, the bloody clothing, the weapon, uh, DNA, blood, um, because all that's gonna the DA is gonna pick it up, district attorney's office, and then that's a whole another fiasco of have them having to go to court for multiple years unless they take a plea deal, but if they already have fucking four life sentences under their belt, if they're already serving 160 years to life. 200 years to life, do you think they care, bro? No, they don't give a shit. <laughs> they don't bat an eye. It, they actually feel proud. Are most of these murders pretty much all gang-affiliated? Like, is anyone just no. getting stabbed randomly? No, it's it's drugs, money, drugs. But it, it's a part of a gang, right? Like, part of a gang. Yeah, it's all... It all it, it, it's, is is anybody root. getting killed? Yeah, for sure people are getting fucking killed over disrespect. What about sex offenders? Are they at this yard? Sex offenders, uh, rats, anything like that, or not at this type of prison? Less than two years ago, I saw a white inmate that had some sex offenses charges on his record, and he should not have been on this general population yard that I'm speaking about. Somehow, some way, somebody screwed up or the paperwork or I don't know. They fucking killed him. It was three whites. One knew that he was going to kill him. The other two poor bastards were in there for DUIs, bro. DUIs and were going to get out in a year. And now they just got charged with fucking murder. So, like, that sucks, too. You're committing murders when you're about to get out of prison on beha behalf of the gang. Fuck no, that doesn't sound like a good, fun idea, bro. That sounds horrible. Wow. Because you're throwing your life away. Now... You've had a lot of, um, like, uh, front hand, like, being able to see how, like, the Aryan Brotherhood and stuff works. A lot of the comments I get when I post content about prison, it's the stereotypical, oh, you know, like, you'd get recruited by the Brotherhood, this and that. But 
not at the types of prisons I went to, but does that happen at the types of prisons that you were working at? Where if you're a white guy, you go on the yard, they're coming up to you right away and approaching you? In California, bro. California moves different Mm -hmm. in general. And it is safe to say that it is the most violent prison system in the United States. And when I say that, I'm not taking away the violence away from any other prison or even the feds. But, bro, there is something to be We're on the map as far as a lot of people know about the ruthless cutthroat politics of CDCR, California. Whatever race you are, when you go into prison, you are going to be approached by people of your same race. That belong to a gang because <laughs> they're following under an organization and you will participate. You have just, you are, you're definitely not going to do your own thing. You're definitely not going to tell them no because you're going to get stabbed. You're going to get hurt extremely bad. So you're just now became part of the machine. So yeah, if you're a white inmate, you're going to be asked by the other whites to hold drugs for the shot callers. You're going to be asked to hold weapons. You're going to be asked to move stuff from point A to point B with the possibility of getting caught and extra time added to your sentence. You're even going to be asked to, hey, take this weapon and start stabbing the fuck out of that guy because he's a fucking child molester. This is average, average dude, man. What are, <laughs> what are like some weird uh, rules um, and habits you've seen inmates like create for themselves and, and kind of like enforce? They're good rules. They're good rules, bro. Practicing good hygiene. Right? And I come from the military. You need structure. People need structures and people need rules, bro. Especially alpha males. <laughs> not, it's a free-for-all. Free-for-alls are not good. Yeah, but some of these rules are silly that they come up with, you know? Like what? Uh, I don't know. It was like squatting the pee was one of them. Oh, like, okay, rules okay. like that, like well, habits okay. and stuff. Yeah. So something when you, when you, go, when you go in ad seg and you see the, p- the pisser, They'll straddle the the pisser, the toilet. They'll sit down. So they're facing the toilet. They sit down. They hold their dick down and they pee. Um, Yeah, looks ridiculous. But I guess it's better sense than standing up and showing your dick to it. It's it's a chain link fence, right? So they don't want that. It may be viewed as a homosexual act, Mm -hmm. right? There's a fine line between disrespect or the perception of disrespect in prison. You know that. So like, and another thing is, they don't want to get pee on the toilet seat, which is respectful. Well, I could respect that. I mean, I wouldn't particularly sit down and take a piss, but that's normal. That's absolutely fucking normal. Yeah. Another one, washing your clothes in the... This, I never even spoke on this, ever, in public. Washing your clothes in the toilet. Same fucking toilet in the cell that you take a shit in. Getting clothes, getting detergent, washing it. Cooking fucking soups to eat in the toilet. That's what they do. Well, that's what they did then. I, like I said, I don't know what they do now. <laughs> but, dude, that's 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 crazy because I was listening in on the phone call one time because we all all inmate fo- telephones are monitored when they call their loved ones. We have we have a phone. We can push a button and tap in on their call. And this dude was talking to his girlfriend like, oh, yeah, I just got done washing my clothes. We sanitized the toilet real, real good. And in my head, I'm like, oh, bro, there's no, you cannot sanitize the clothes. Yeah. What was the like the craziest thing you've ever heard on a, a recorded phone call that you were listening in on? 
they were always the same type of conversations, man. Like, you you have a guy's guy, like having phone sex or anything. You have a guy just disrespecting his girlfriend. Hey, you fucking B word, you bitch. You better, you B word this, you B word that, and fucking switch it up. Hey, baby, I love you. Can you put some money on my books? <laughs> and the girl would fall for it every time, hook, line, and sinker. I'm like, damn, man, these guys are good at like manipulation. Yeah, it always starts off like disrespect. Maybe that's what they do break them down and build them back up. Mm-hmm. But. It was constant phone sex, arguments. If you were privy and savvy to understanding coded or be lucky enough to catch like a drug deal or a hit, that definitely happens. Some people get caught slipping. But with the introduction of cell phones, check it out, dude. The way they the way they order hits in 2023. I'm giving you a lot of 2023 insight, bro. <laughs> <laughs> FaceTime. WhatsApp, all these other um, apps, conference calls. So you can have four Aryan Brotherhood members on the screen, four Mexican Mafia members on the screen. And we've seen them. We got the picture. Everything is fucking courts documents. Everything is evidence. So there's nothing you can do that's not going to go detected. Mm-hmm. Because phones are going to get confiscated. People are going to rap. People are going to drop out. People are going to tell. We're going to get that information. And yeah, bro, they're fucking on an encrypted app ordering, orchestrating a murder from start to finish. And you got all the key players on a fucking conference call. In prison. That in prison, in a cell. In different, in different prisons throughout the state of California. That's crazy. From the south, San Diego, to the north, Pelican Bay. Different inmates in different prisons, FaceTiming, orchestrating, time now, go. Where you'll also have a cell phone. A guy's talking to his girl. Hey, I'm going to go do something. You're not going to hear from me in a while. She knows what time it is. She said, I love you. Okay, be careful. Make sure you get that done. So they're all fucking, it's all just criminal organization, bro. You ever walk in on guys like having sex? Oh, God, that fucking question came out of left field. And the answer is no. <laughs> I purposely would shake my keys at night, graveyard shift, so that I wouldn't see anything like that. Uh, bro. So you're one of the cool guards that would shake the keys. Yeah. I mean, I'm not trying to see that. Mm-hmm. What, what the hell would I want to see that for, bro? Mm-hmm. Um, my partners have told me they have seen some things. They have seen some things at night, bro. Yeah. Inmates having sex. like, And they describe it to, in detail to me, man. It's kind of fucking grotesque. They're like, yeah, bro. They'll be telling him like, hey, get off of him. Get out of him. Get out of him. One dude's like, oh, this dude was like fucking hung, bro. It's like he just pulled out of him. <laughs> Were there female cops working here yeah, too? Yeah, 100%. Are, what are they like? Are they surviving on this yard? Yes. Yeah. And again, not to do a blanket statement. It's a very important that I make it clear that there's no stereotypes or blanket statement, right? Because I've seen it all. Good female CEOs, bad female CEOs, cr- dirty, corrupt female CEOs that are having sex with the inmates in prison. And that happens all the time, all across the country. All the time, bro. It why, does happen all the time. Why do you think they do that? For me to say it doesn't happen all the time would be inaccurate. Yeah. It happens all the fucking time, bro. Why, why do they want to risk their jobs and whatnot to do that? I can't understand that. I can't fathom it. I would only imagine it's the whole bad boy image. 
I don't know, bro. I've been studying girls all my life. Man. <laughs> yeah, what, what have you found out? Anything good? Yeah, they're all the same. <laughs> they're all the fucking same, bro. And yeah. I've been married for 17 years, bro. They're all the same. Meaning, like, they don't know what they want. They think they know what they want, right? It's like, it's hot or cold, bro. I think we're like cavemen, mm-hmm. right? You always They're always chasing that alpha. They're always chasing the biggest, the baddest. They say they want a nice guy, but they treat nice guys like shit. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know this, we see it over and over again. That's why, you know, they, the bad boys, girls like bad boys. And that's the only thing that I can imagine why they're sleeping with these inmates. They like the thrill. Mm-hmm. I never particularly asked one, hey, you know, fuck it. Because I, <sighs> what's crazy is that you have these female CEOs that are hooking up with all the CEOs and they're fucking the inmates too. <laughs> it's a fucking orgy going on. <laughs> a present <laughs> orgy. <laughs> Yeah, man, but you don't want to be like, God damn, like, you don't want, imagine thinking you're like, yeah, I'm fucking this chick, but God damn it, she's fucking the image too, like, the fuck? Yeah. Kind of make you feel dirty, you know what I mean? No disrespect, but it, I just told you they eat out of the toilet at times, or yeah. wash their clothes, or pee sitting down. Yeah. But hey, she don't discriminate and fucking everybody can get it. So what was the driving factor that pushed you out of working in the prison system? So I was a pawn as a CO. I was a pawn as a sergeant. When I promoted to lieutenant, yes, I was still a pawn, but I got an insight. I got a front row seat at the corruption. I got a position as a public information officer, which is a PIO, the person that wears a suit and stands up in front of the news, like, hey, the riot at this prison, which is a prestigious spot, specialized spot, hand chosen by the warden. I was part of the tactical team, the crisis response team, which is equivalent to a SWAT team. As a tactical operator, a certified hostage negotiator, and then I eventually became the commander. So on paper, I had all these certificates and it looked fucking great. The warden I was working for, I can only describe as Hitler, demeanor-wise. He looked like Suge Knight. And he ruled like a dictator. He did not follow policy, contrary to what the rumors were about him prior to him showing up. We heard he was coming. And we always heard, oh, the dude's by the book. The dude's by the book. The dude fucking follows policy. Which, when I first heard that, I'm like, well, that's cool. Because, like, I know the book. I know policy. And I'm not doing anything wild or I can survive. You know what I mean? No, dude. That dude was fucking corrupt. Showing favoritism. Sabotaging. Sabotaging. Those going against the grain, even though his grain was very wrong, bro. And ultimately, the people he would surround himself with were fucking idiots because he wanted to feel like the smartest guy in the room. They were very incompetent. There was a captain. The captain had made captain in nine years, which is unheard of, dude. He was book smart, just not fucking street smart. And that captain befriended a Mexican mafia member, which resulted in two officers almost getting stabbed to death, an attempted murder on a peace officer, which I was was a PIO and the CERT commander, and I responded to that. You can see the blood on the ground. Dude got stabbed in the fucking mouth. Dude got destroyed, bro. It's a miracle he didn't die. And the warden covered up that whole incident because he didn't want to reflect back bad on his captain. Sacramento headquarters 
said, hey, since you're the PIO, we want you to type up a letter refuting that there's any that there's any uh, shadiness that 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 captain was incom not incompetent. I'm like, why would I do that for? They're like, never mind. We just did it. So they actually put out like media stuff saying that everything was good. Mm -hmm. When at that prison, everything was not fucking good, bro. It was on fire. And they covered it up. They covered it up. So then the clock started ticking for me. Like, I have a five-year-old daughter. I have 12 more years left to go. I see the writing on the wall. They're mixing general population and SNY inmates. That's a new thing now in, in prison. They're mixing the GP with the child molesters. Whether I think that's right, wrong, or indifferent... I don't feel good purposely uh, leading lambs to the slaughter. You know what I mean? Get somebody else to do it. You guys could do whatever the fuck you want to do. I'm just not going to participate in that. Mm -hmm. So I resigned. December 1st, 2022, 11 months ago. 11 months ago. 11 months ago, bro. How long were you? So, 16 years almost you were with them? 16 years. So then I go home and I tell my wife I quit my job. She's like, what? <laughs> fuck. Oh, bro, it's been a roller coaster ever since. Do you get any benefits from that job? When I turn 50 years old, in 11 more years, I will be able to collect my pension. Okay, so you'll still get a pension. Yeah, dude. But to me, this freedom is better, man. What do you do now since resigning? I'm on YouTube. Um, that prison guard, the channel. I wrote a book. I wrote a book, um, pretty much how to survive in corrections, a perspective, the ins and the outs, the respect, the etiquette, tips and tricks through experiences, through lessons learned, through other people's uh, knowledge. It's on Amazon. Um, uh, my social media, I put out like, you know, motivational speeches, motivational content, working out, health, fitness, um, mental health awareness. I'm fucking huge on mental health awareness, bro. I feel like this is my passion. I feel like this is my purpose. Remember I told you I cursed God as to why I had, did not die in Iraq mm -hmm. when my friends had? I see it now. I see it now. I was meant to be given a platform to help others. Others that are hurting. Because it took me to go through what I had to go through to be able to reach to those type of people. Because, dude, there's a lot of former inmates that watch my fucking channel. There's a lot of former inmates that I'm in communication with. And our, our, our relationship is cool as fuck because I'm not a prison guard no more. I'm a civilian, dude. They're, and they're no longer an inmate. They're a fucking law-abiding, thriving civilian. Do you ever regret your decision to leave? No. Absolutely not. Would I, you ever go back? The reason I will not go back is because that fucking department is so shady. What they will do, because they're not happy about what I did, bro. <laughs> <laughs> they will get me. You know what I mean? I'll go back. I'll be under their policy, under their contract, under their procedures, and they'll make something up, and they'll get me. Like, may, let's say I go back. They'll probably say that they're going to use what I did, even though I don't know how they could, but they would. Oh, look at this guy. He was doing this while he was employed. We're going to put this type of charge on him. Nah, fuck that, bro. I wouldn't go back. It's like getting back with a crazy ex-girlfriend. Do you talk to any of your former coworkers at all? All the time. All the time. They call me, touch bases. They want to know how I'm doing. A lot of people give me a lot of information. I don't ask. Or I'm not on the phone. Hey, tell me what you know. They're like, hey, bro, just so you know, this is happening, this is happening, that is happening. Here at this location. I'm like, want to talk about it? I'm like, yeah, I'll talk about it, you bro. You got content. <laughs> Everywhere. At what, all times. What's your like your next few years look like for you? What's on the on the agenda? 
grow. Grow bigger. Help more people. Because right now I'm hustling and grinding, you know, and I'm always going to be grinding, but like I, I'm trying to establish myself first while help, simultaneously helping people. But I like, who knows, man, drug and alcohol counselor, something like, something like um, professional, maybe halfway houses, rehab. Like I said, I haven't delved into that, but I do want to help people and I want to do it the right way. You know what I mean? Like somebody that actually cares about people's sobriety, people's recovery, people's mental health, not just, hey, I want to fucking put this person in this house. That's not what I'm looking for. I'm looking to help people. Out of everything you've been through in your life, what would you say is the biggest life lesson you've learned and that you want to share with others? The biggest life lesson I learned was surrendering to win meaning asking for help, meaning letting go of my ego and um, yeah, making that decision to fucking ask for help, man. Because had I not da- done that, I was going to die. I was going to fucking die, bro. There's no Hector tried to do it Hector's way for 26 years and Hector's way got him in jails, hospitals, and institutions. Right, when I fucking shut the fuck up and started listening to other people that knew what the hell they were talking about, doctors, <laughs> therapists, family, right? It's kind of like. How's your relationship with your parents now? It's good, bro. It's good. Um, but I'm in a unique position. They were at it. They were fucking against me quitting my prison job, my career, their old school mentality, 1990s. Mm-hmm. Right. I'm like, hey, dad, it's 2023, man. I can make a living on fucking it. On, on social media, on the <laughs> cell phone, right? Could do an OnlyFans with my feet. <laughs> I don't have to go bust my ass and work, like breaking my back for a man that I hate, for the man. I can do what I love doing, helping others, and, and get paid for doing so. I mean, fuck, dude. I'm living a great life. Like, I love helping people. <laughs> because for the longest time, I was a piece of shit, bro. Mm-hmm. And I hurt a lot of people in my past. I hated that way of living. 